Hey everybody, this is your host, Matt Castellini, and welcome to Chicago Capital. We have a great episode lined up today, but before that, a word from our sponsors, World Business Chicago. In 2021 alone, local founders have raised more than $5 billion in VC dollars, making Chicago a national destination for founders, investors, and innovators. As the city of Chicago's economic development organization, World Business Chicago drives growth and opportunity for our local tech economy and innovation ecosystem through its flagship programs such as the Chicago Venture Summit, Startup Chicago, Think Chicago, and Venture Engine. Learn more via worldbusinesschicago.com. So much for having on Chicago Capital. It is a true pleasure to have another Booth grad on the show. Thanks, man. It's a pleasure to be here. And if you know listeners can't see, but Pat is decked out in booth gear right now. He's showing his school spirit, and we love it. Thanks. So I think we'd love to hear more about your background. There's a lot of exciting stuff going on right now in the crypto space, which I'm sure sure we'll touch on. And uh, Zen Ledger's had a really exciting last couple of months. But I think for starters, we'd love to kind of hear your background, your path to entrepreneurship. Yeah, sure. Uh, I grew up in Southern California, um, went to the Air Force Academy for undergrad and studied chemistry there, uh, commissioned in the U.S. Navy and was a helicopter pilot, did a couple tours as uh, search and rescue. Um, and then got out at Miami University of Chicago, uh, mostly on an investment banking track, but ended up uh, getting concentrations in accounting, economics, finance, and entrepreneurship, I guess, uh, which is a concentration of nothing in the end, probably. Um, and then uh, did a year of uh, M&AI banking, um, joined a, a local firm, Lincoln International, that had a lot of booth grads at it, um, kind of shunned the, the New York bulge bracket route, because uh, I, I think... My plan was only to do iBanking for a year or two, like everyone else. Uh, uh, some people pivot to that plan after they get tossed out of iBanking. Uh, but uh, I always considered myself to have a median performance of any sample population I go into, right? Um, and then uh, went into uh, startups, uh, joined a booth grad. Uh, he was like a CTO, CEO, founder type, and I started doing kind of biz dev, but starting to learn how technology works. And that was like, yeah, 2011. Um, and then... Uh, worked at Amazon starting in 2015, ran a, um, a retail business unit, licensed sporting goods, and then uh, was an e-commerce startup and then um, decided to take a shot at uh, being a fintech CEO in 2017 and looked around for business ideas and um, just kind of wanted to validate that I uh, actually uh, had the chops to do it. So, you know, finding a CTO, finding seed investors, finding a business idea, uh, all that stuff. And when did you first get introduced to the idea of Bitcoin, crypto? Like, what was your first introduction to that world? Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, I, I'm sure I probably started reading about it at least in 2015. Didn't really uh, invest heavily, uh, anything like that. And then in 2017, uh, as I was kicking around startup ideas, I, I kind of like uh, did a very broad search because uh, I, was, I was coming as, as I'm going to be a generalist CEO. And I need to find a specialist uh, co-founding team, but I'll, I'll be the generalist um, as, as the business tech memes go, right? I'm, uh, you know, uh, I'm the business guy. Uh, and, and so, um, but, but I kind of triangulated on crypto taxes because uh, in 2017, in the summer, crypto was inescapable. 
uh, it was clear that lots of people were getting into it. So there was kind of a retail mass market type feel to things. Uh, there were a lot of scams, uh, of course, but that's uh, any kind of new finance thing. Uh, and a lot of the reputable, smart, successful people in crypto that I talked to uh, all had the tax problem. Uh, and their accountants and, and lawyers didn't know what to do with it. So that was very obviously um, a good SaaS play, right? You do math in the cloud, you produce a valuable you know, math result and charge people for it. Uh, and, and if you have great UI, UX, customer service uh, reports and, and uh, all that, then you can build a SaaS business. I didn't, I didn't really have a two or five year plan. I had like a three and six month and maybe one year plan. Did you find other analogs that, you know, had sort of built similar platforms around other asset classes that you really took inspiration from? Um, I'm curious how you felt about that. Uh, so, so one good piece of advice is like pick your competition, right? So pick where you have advantages. If you're tall, like play a sport that favors tall people, you know, like if, uh, and then if you're, if you're smart, try to pick a, a competition that is not as smart as you, right? It's very hard to go into hedge funds. Uh, or medicine or whatever. You just have to compete against really smart people all the time. It's really difficult. Um, so, uh, I mean, what we saw was that there were a couple incumbents in the space uh, helping with crypto taxes, and they'd been around for a couple of years, but they they were very much like side passion projects. It was like one or two people. There was no uh, use of APIs, no real innovation, UI, UX, automation, or customer service, um, but it was a valuable pain point. So it was like, hey, people are bending or backwards trying to figure this out they're doing an excel they're using SaaS that kind of gets the job done if you put in a lot of work um but not quite so like if we just build this right here improving on the current offerings like the version 1.0 offerings uh with with the understanding that way more people are going to want to pay crypto taxes like uh in 2017 it was like 0.0001 percent of anyone who'd ever invest in crypto had ever thought about paying taxes on it right um and and so just hey, uh, we're at the start of a wave, it's going to be bumpy. And uh, let's see if we can get together something that's useful and kind of ride out these subsequent wa waves. Right. So this is going to be a very novice question, because uh, honestly, this is the first year that I've really invested heavily into crypto, and I haven't gotten to tax season yet. Um, so I'm, I'm generally genuinely curious, what makes crypto so different and so challenging from a tax perspective is it the volatility is it is it the fact that there was so little regulation back then i mean what makes it so challenging that you felt like huge pain point can create a you know real burgeoning business off of it yeah so the main thing is that crypto does not account for itself in dollars or euros or yen or any fiat currency it accounts for itself in its own units so if you're a bitcoin miner then you contribute electricity and computing power to the Bitcoin network, and you're compensated uh, in Bitcoins uh, as a reward for mining. If, if you do that in Ethereum, you're compensated with Ethereum. So the, the, the asset that we think about is a token, and that token is your reward for contributing to the network. Um, so at any point in time, you can know exactly how many Bitcoin you have. You have one Bitcoin, you have two Bitcoin. Um, but you don't know how much that is in dollars uh, day to day. You don't know uh, what price uh, you acquired it at, what price you're disposing of it at, nothing's tracking really your holding period. Uh, all those typical uh, things that you think about when you're investing in stocks, those apply to cryptocurrency as well. Uh, and um, if you have hundreds or thousands of transactions, and if you move between a couple exchanges and a couple wallets, 
you'll never be able to piece your cost basis back together and apply an accounting method to it over years, uh, especially if it's overseas and, and all these other things um, without software. So you mentioned miners. I'm curious about, though, the kind of ideal customer profile for you guys. Yeah. I mean, it, it, do I fall in that category? Can I use your platform? Are you looking for the larger accredited investors? What are you looking at? Yeah, I mean, so we we tried to build uh, software. We kind of joke around like we are our, our seed investors were all, you know, uh, crypto guys from like 2013, 2015, ICO people. Um, and so we got their test net access and their their test data. And so we ended up building uh, the product off of their information. So very much education, edge cases, kind of a Formula One race car. Right. But uh, our ideal next marginal customer is someone with a couple wallets, a couple exchanges, a couple hundred transactions. Um, and that's like uh, selling you a four door sedan with, you know, uh, F1 racing technology in it. Right. Um, and, and so like for you, like our software will just work and you'll be in and out 10 minutes. And for 90% of our customers, that's the case. But uh, just like with an accountant, like even once you have enough net worth and enough transactions that you want an accountant, most people have very simple accounting. But then like you just keep going down and get squirrelier and squirrelier. Uh, and, and some of our uh, clients are running crypto hedge funds, are running crypto VCs, are DeFi or NFT founders, and, and their stuff is all over the place. And uh, we help them with that. And we work with their tax professionals and their lawyers. And what was sort of your, and still is today, I guess, like your go-to-market motion? I mean, are you targeting, did you target those hedge funds first, those VCs first? Um, was it more, you know, using your seed investors relationships to get introductions? How have you guys gone to find new clients? Yeah, it was, it's a it's a mix. So one thing we try to do is just the very standard uh, B to C uh, digital marketing, right? So SEO, PPC, uh, retail partnerships, uh, you know, working with exchanges and and influencers who have large followings. And um, the other thing is kind of like a B to B play or B to B to C, right? So again, that's exchanges, that's tax professionals, that's investment managers, um, and that's our investors. So you kind of uh, try to grab customers efficiently in chunks wherever you can. Uh, and, and so like, um, uh, that's, you know, that's how we've operated. And I mean, you mentioned memes a little bit ago. Uh, I'm curious if a social media presence is something that you guys have thought about, if it's important, if you have one, because crypto Twitter, as you know, is a, a very, very vibrant ecosystem. <laughs> yeah. It's really funny in that, uh, some of our seed investors are people like, you know, Vijay Boyapati, Nick Carter, Ben Davenport. And if they tweet like, you know, Bitcoin go up or, or they tweeted uh, uh, Elon Musk or, or uh, SEC Gensler or something, they'll get tens of thousands of likes. And then they'll be like, hey, April 15th is coming up. Use Zenledger. And it's just like 10 likes and then a bunch of like taxation is thefts uh, because it's crypto Twitter. Right. It's, it's not uh, Twitter is not real life, as, as we've uh, been reminded many times. Um, crypto does run on memes because it's like an on online native uh, network. And that's how you learn about all of the protocols and get in there and learn about how to invest and how to grab wallets and how to create exchanges. Like you're on YouTube and Reddit, uh, crypto, Twitter, Telegram. And so you're just swapping funny images and creating inside jokes. And it's it's its own culture, just like Wall Street would be, right? Like um uh, all those guys have their own uh, trading cultures and languages as well. Most of us just never see it. Uh, whereas with crypto, it's it's very much out in the open because it's very much uh, online, but also, uh, you know, direct to consumer. So 
what is your guys' revenue model? Um, you know, you mentioned it's a SaaS-based business, but just curious about how you went about sort of figuring out pricing and, and your revenue model. Yeah, uh, so pricing is always weird, uh, and we've we've tried a couple of different ways. At first, we tried to be kind of the highest-priced uh, people in the space, um, and we were able to still get good traction there. We we're trying to sell uh, the business class seats, right? Uh, or try to sell BMWs, uh, you know, like, um, um, and then uh, we were successful in raising capital through a couple of rounds and we'd raised in uh, end of 2019. So right before uh, 2020 and, and uh, first quarter in COVID. And once kind of the COVID shock happened, we said, oh, you know what, like, uh, let's go ahead and lower prices to in line with competitors and use our balance sheet and grow market share. Um, and people are going to like, we just saw Bitcoin like fall to 7,000. We didn't know if it was going to stay there or keep going down or whatever. And we're like, Hey, like we may, this may be yet another crypto winner. So we found it in 2017. Um, and people are throwing like one Bitcoin at me for C investment. They're like, what do I care? I have hundreds of these things. Right. Uh, they, like, and I'm wealthier than I've ever been. Uh, so it's very easy to raise seed investment, uh, at all time highs. Uh, when you're very clearly not a scammer, when you're like a, a nice guy, who has a military background who just wants to do some accounting and math for people and it's not selling them a token. Um, it, it's a much easier pitch. Um, and then crypto winter happens and we have to survive 2018, 2019. And we raise capital successfully and, and build a great product and, and are growing our business. And then COVID 2020 happens. So then we decided to bring our pricing in line with competitors. So in a way, our competitors uh, dictated our price um, and, and our capital situation and the overall market, the asset prices, uh, and those types of things. And then just like, you know, CPAs help set prices because you can't charge like way more than them. Uh, CPAs effectively try to charge like 1% of wealth uh, or something if they can, right? And if that's a heuristic and you kind of have to back off from that. Uh, so, so a lot of things, you know, um, it is very hard to ever figure out pricing um, in a vacuum. And so you kind of have to make sense in the overall picture of your target customer and what else they're, they're spending on and what their alternatives are. And you mentioned, you know, the competitive landscape. Do you see this as an opportunity in a market that is winner take all? Or do you think there's going to be a ton of solutions out there for different customers and different sort of products based around the blockchain? Yeah, it's very it's very much not winner take all. If you look at software and if you look at uh, advisory services and accounting, it's highly fractured, right? The big four accounting firms don't... Uh, uh, hold a huge market segment in, in retail. Um, it's not like Google and Facebook where you get a 99% market share. Uh, it's very much fractured. And that allows you kind of time to, to build and grow. It allows you to be capital efficient and you don't have to take a bunch of capital up front to try to go win. Um, it allows for you to kind of absorb losses as someone gets some great exclusive partnership that you didn't get, um, which is fine. So you just kind of keep going. Uh, and the other thing is the market's growing so fast that the the pie today is you know say 10 slices big or whatever right uh and and it's just going to go to like a thousand equivalent slices in the next year or two so regardless of what your market share was today um there'll just be all these gaps that everyone can grow into and some of us will grow faster than others and we'll have the opportunity to acquire um you know smaller competitors or complementary uh businesses as well as we grow Back in August, uh, when you guys raised your, you know, six million Series A, which we'll touch on in a second, but um, you know, you'd mentioned that your customer count and revenue grew 500 percent year over year at that time. Uh, did that did that number shock you to the upside? I mean, were you just during that time were you kind of blown away at sort of how things were progressing? It's it's weird because you always think 
like, oh, shucks, this is amazing. And at the same time, you're like, we should be doing better than this, right? Like there's, there's, there's like, you know, there's a sense that you go from 0.1% tax compliance of perhaps a million people in crypto in the United States. And then hopefully next year it's 0.2% tax compliance, but of 5 million people or something, right? Because there's a, there's a on page one of the 1040 tax form, you have to answer yes or no. Did I transact in digital assets here? Every taxpayer, every tax professional has to answer that. Uh, let's call it a perjury trap uh, to, to be, you know, um, charitable. Uh, and, and so like you, you'd think that like, hey, we should be growing faster over year. Uh, it's not a stack environment where there's only uh, 100,000 customers. And so we're grabbing like a lot more market share. The market's growing too. So it's very hard to judge exactly how well we're doing, but we're doing well enough that we're going to get to keep staying in the game. And that's like kind of the important part, like keep the team together, keep make the, making the product better, keep tuning your marketing message, where your customers are at, go find better investors for the next stage and, and uh, better partners for the next stage and, and uh, innovate on product to maybe a slightly different uh, um, customer segment or, or product focus, like all those things, like the, the game is staying in the game. And on the topic of your series a, so, you know, was that, you know, looking at how fast you guys were growing and, and sort of being opportunistic with wanting to raise capital um, or, or how, so what was your decision-making process when you decided to go out to market to raise that series a and what's kind of the uses of those funds over the next, you know, six to 12 to 18 months? Yeah. I mean, the way I try to think of it is like, Hey, we're, we're a VC back company. We're, we're supposed to use this capital to grow. And uh, I will raise the next round of capital uh, either when like the story and the market is good enough that I can go raise it or when I need to before I start having to like trim back operations like one or the other. Right. Uh, and, and so um, it looked like uh, things had recovered from the COVID shock and uh, crypto is just going bonkers again. Right. Um, there were other semi-adjacent competitors, more in the B2B crypto accounting space. They're just raising huge chunks of capital. But then there was just so much capital coming into the market. And every fintech and crypto investor was also looking at infrastructure plays. They, they couldn't just invest in pure uh, ecosystem token plays. They had to like uh, take a broader view if they wanted to deploy uh, all the capital they wanted to. Um, so we were able to you know, uh, bring in Mark Cuban and, and, um, and Block Celery and Borderless Capital of Algorand and, and CoinGecko and a number of other uh, investors that are very savvy in the space. And we're okay with us uh, not being a pure crypto project that issues a token and also being okay with us not being a pure fintech play with, you know, like, um, uh, what would that be? Like eight digit, you know, ARR and like a very safe play. Um, and, and so like, it was kind of a weird sweet spot of series a, um, uh, that was like very much, uh, early stage still. And now looking at sort of where crypto or Bitcoin is right now, you know, reaching all time highs, all time highs this week. Um, I always have to ask people immersed in the crypto world for, for a projection or for, you know, a, a prognosis, where do you see kind of this market headed in the next, you know, six to 12 months? What are you most sort of looking out for? Yeah. I mean, I think. You know, there's always uh, um, a lot of velocity to the downside when things finally break, right? And and crypto will be the same way. Like from sixty thousand, the 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 amount of days to get to thirty thousand will, will be like two. Like, um, but but uh, the path to a hundred thousand is going to take like maybe two weeks, maybe two months. Uh, you know, like it'll be really quick if we get there, because uh, because that's how volatile things are. 
Um, I would say that right now I don't see too many threats to Bitcoin in the short term because all the bad news has been absorbed. So the, the overhang of having all the miners in China is gone. Now half of the miners are going to be the United States. Um, the overhang of will the SEC go after Bitcoin? Uh, clearly it cannot, and that's why it hasn't. And uh, now we have Bitcoin ETFs. So we have even more institutional money coming in. Um, and so those were two of the big overhangs. Um, and then the innovation in, in decentralized finance and NFTs is, is something where, hey, we're creating digital goods. We're paying you uh, in digital goods. And that's something that the government can't touch either. Uh, stable coins, the, the government can go after. And so that is a risk. And that would um, take some air out of the market. But Bitcoin and DeFi and NFTs would go humming along, uh, even if the whole stable coin market got, got tramped on. And is that because, and we had Peter Johnson um, from Jump Capital on the show recently, and he, he talked to us about stable coins, but um, what is in your mind, like what is the greater risk to stable coins? Is it their relationship to fiat currencies? Like what is the risk and the cause for concern there, if there is any? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the purpose of government is kind of to allow us to like live our lives within those borders, right? So uh, uh, stable border, borders and military monopoly on violence, and then like stable commerce and law, right? And so if you start messing with that, if you start issuing dollars, and you're not uh, the central bank, or you start issuing euros or yen, then you have a problem, right? And, and so you shouldn't expect nation states to be okay with that. Um, you should expect nation states that don't print their own money um, to be okay with it and, and adopt uh, stable coins and Bitcoin as, as their tender uh, because they don't have one. They've given up the ghost on pretending that, that uh, their local currency really matters and, and uh, hopefully their citizens will do better because of it. And, and uh, this is a completely new world and a new economy, right? Like, I don't think studying where Mark Germany is that relevant. You know, like it's, it's, this is the first time we've had a global economy where a job in Ohio is tied to a job in Shenzhen uh, a, a transaction in, in you know, um, Nigeria is tied to a transaction in El Salvador and things like that, right? Like, we, we don't know how it's going to look. Economics is not physics. Economics is politics. Uh, and and um, we are all just a bunch of people haggling over the relative prices and values of, of things that don't really mean anything. Dollars don't mean anything. Bitcoin don't mean anything. Gold mostly doesn't mean anything. It has a little bit of practical value in semiconductors, but otherwise it's like an inert shiny metal and it's useless. And that's why we use it. Iron's incredibly useful. That's why we use it for stuff and it would make a terrible currency. No, absolutely. Yeah. I was a metals and mining analyst uh, for, <laughs> for two and a half years. So you're, you're preaching to the choir over here. Uh, Tell me some tungsten cubes, man. Give me, give me a line on some tungsten. <laughs> I'll see what I can do. I'll see if I still have the good old connections in the back pocket. Um, you know, looking, looking towards the long-term vision for you guys, um, you know, I'm sure you, you are dealing with, you know, a, a growing competitive landscape, but as you look out to the five and 10 year horizon, what do you see as the big or some of the big moats that you think you'll be able to establish in the long run? Yeah. I mean, and, and again, like I'm, I'm very much like a play sports, like next play, like fly a helicopter, like get through the next, like. 30 seconds and taking a lot more information to make another good decision about the next 30 seconds type thing. Um, and, and so I, I don't necessarily think in five and 10 year plans, but I think that the, it's very easy for me to just like confidently bet that crypto is going to grow for the next five and 10 years and being able to take in all the transactions, clean them up, uh, analyze them and output to accounting taxes, portfolio management, 
um, are all going to be useful things, right? Uh, and then other other things will pop up uh, from there. Like, hey, like you have you had five Ethereum sitting in this wallet for six months. Would you like to you know earn interest on it? And then we earn a referral there. Or um, hey, here's you know tax loss harvesting. Like, hey, you know you, you actually have ten thousand dollars of losses over here. You could you could uh, cash in right now, right? Or you know December thirty first or something, and that would optimize your taxes. Uh, hey, did you know you have two thousand dollars of income uh, because of the NFTs you trade or the DeFi liquidity pools? Like you need to report that. Like we want to keep you safe and compliant here because our, our customers are not moving to uh, Puerto Rico. They're, they haven't gone completely dark web. They're the high compliance people, right? Um, they, they've been used to using tax professionals and filing their taxes for 20 years and they put 1% of their net worth in crypto and now it's worth 10% or, or they started DCA, you know, uh, yeah, DCA, dollar cost averaging into crypto um, and, and, or they kind of red pilled into it. They've jumped from traditional finance into crypto and now like 50 or 75% of their net worth is very much tied in crypto. Like we, we have different varying levels of, of people and their crypto uh, commitment, but they're all high compliance people. Those are the only people showing up. We don't have any, um, you know, dark web, like narco, uh, anarcho, uh, capitalists, uh, like showing up to do tax SAS with us. No. The more and more unique situations or tax situations that you guys see that your platform sees, does your product get better and better? Is that a component here as well? Is that over time, you're just seeing more and more situations that improve the product in the long run? Yeah. I mean, it's every, every interaction where a customer brings in, you know, a, a new token, a new project that we haven't uh, used yet. And it's, they're kind of leading edge. Like next week, there'll be five more. And the week after that, there'll be 20 uh, more customers who are like, oh yeah, all, we all jumped on whatever Olympus. Uh, uh, then, then we kind of know, like we have to start adding some things and maybe figuring out something new. Cause sometimes that, that next project that really catches fire is because they've innovated in some way. Like, you know, the first month they're offering, you know, 3000 APY or the, they're the first ones to pair their token with USDC and offer, you know, 40% yields versus, you know, 8% yields or something. Um, and so that'll be attractive and we'll kind of have to figure out. Uh, what's going on there. And um, usually there's a lag though, right? So even if you start doing those investments today, you won't need to file that until next year. And so we have a little bit of time uh, to kind of figure things out as we go, because there's kind of a limited uh, bandwidth of our developers. And we have internally basically built a plaid for crypto. Um, and we have relationships with exchanges and DeFi protocols. Um, and uh, so we, we are just ingesting a ton of transactions from a ton of different places. Uh, but it, it is difficult to um, keep our heads wrapped around things because it is not in any way static. Like it, it's not just that there's a stock exchange and every couple of years, a new law affects some of the accounting methods uh, on that central stock exchange. It's like everyone's creating their own stock exchange and trying to make it different from everyone else's stock exchange. I'm curious about your sort of, so, you know, I, I think listeners would, probably agree through this interview that um, you're somebody who comes off as very down to earth, very pragmatic, very problem and process oriented. Did your investors throughout your series A raise or even seed round, did they talk about how that was somewhat of a breath of fresh air in this ecosystem where there are a lot of people who do want to talk about nothing but the five and 10 year roadmap and all yeah. the sort of web three, was that sort of, you know, something feedback that you got? Yeah, I, I, I kind of wrote uh, a fundraising article, like how to, and maybe we can, uh, uh, share a link to that. But I think you have to come up with a story in the business model that fits you and your team and the times, right? Um, so if you're pitching Bitcoin and 
1970, it's not going to work, right? And then you try it in 1990, and it's centralized, and it's based on gold or whatever, and the feds raid uh, your office, and it doesn't work again, right? Um, and and so, like, those things are interesting. For me, it's like, this is pretty much who I am, and, like, business isn't life and death. Like, life and death is life and death. And uh, uh, but, but business is like, hey, I'm going to take several cracks of this. This if, if this doesn't work out, this is not my last startup. I'm going to do as much as I can right, and then I'm going to learn from it. I'm going to try again. Um, and it's authentic to like who I am and how I run the business and how we kind of show up uh, for our customers. If if it was if I was a different kind of person, I was like a tech visionary. I didn't really like to build, or I used to build, but not anymore. Uh, but I can lead a team of builders, and I want to do you know AI in the cloud to solve whatever protein folding. Then it's a different person doing a different pitch for a different market, right? Like, oh, this is a trillion dollar opportunity. We're going to revolutionize, you know, biotech and computing. I have these 10 PhDs that all want to join the company. So like I need to raise capital. Like that's a different pitch for a different person for a different time. I'm we're doing like tax SaaS, and it's very much blocking tackling. It's like the math has to be right and the UI UX has to be right and the customer service has to be great. Uh, and and you have to be very credible in what you're doing and what you're saying you're gonna do. And um, it just all has to add up at the end of the day, right? And so that's kind of who I am, you know. No, I love that. It's, it reminds me of that uh, the proverb, uh, "Know thyself." It seems like yeah. you uh, take that to heart in all aspects. Um, you know, Pat, this has been amazing. I think as we're closing out, I, I, I've just been wondering. You know, you're somebody with the you know incredible military background experience. You got your MBA. You worked in investment banking. Um, you know, those clearly were formative experiences. What are some of the lessons that you took away from one of those experiences, all of those experiences? How do they sort of get you ready and prepared for this journey that you're on today? Yeah, I mean, it's a long race, right? Like your peak productivity where you're really going to move mountains is probably in your 40s, right? Uh, and I thought I was coming to things late, uh, doing the military and then transitioning to business. Turns out, you know, I could interview uh, and, and get, you know, bulge bracket offers. Um, because I'm like, I'm running as hard as the other people running the same race I'm running, right? Like you pick a race and you're like, oh, okay. Like these people are fast, but I think I'm fast too. Uh, so you pick the race and, and hopefully you're not lagging too far behind. I, I would say like, keep learning, keep doing things that are interesting, but impactful, right? Like if, if my passion was collecting stamps, I wouldn't be here, right? I'd be great at collecting stamps, but it probably wouldn't be that interesting unless I was like the best stamp collector and I was writing books or whatever. Um, so there's even an inch there. Right. Uh, but like it was it was always kind of like, hey, I know I'm smart. I know I'm hardworking. That's kind of table stakes. Everyone is that way. But like, what are the other things? Like, can you communicate well if you can't? But you think there's some minimal level uh, you need to get to like practice your public speaking, practice pitching. Uh, there are deficiencies you need to address and get to some minimal uh, level, right? But if I wasn't the pitch guy, I'd have to go find the pitch guy at least. So again, know thyself, know what weaknesses like you can't get up to snuff and fill those, right? I didn't try to go learn coding. I wasn't like, oh, I'll take a coding boot camp and I'll just sit here with some books. I just went and found a great founding CTO and he had he brought on coders. I don't I don't try to mess around with Google AdWords. I find like great digital marketers to to bring onto the team and and uh, stuff like that. So like just be very honest with yourself. Introspection is really important. Um, picking uh, picking your battles, like pick the industry you're gonna work in, um, take some risks there. Like crypto could have evaporated in 2018, right? And then I'd be like, oh, well, like, I'm gonna go try to get a job at find you know, Microsoft or something again uh, to try to ride this out. That was unfortunate, right? But now it turns out it was a good uh, place to pick, right? Uh, and you know, so you kind of have to be okay with taking some risks, um, you know, calculated risks, but uh, 
just don't be afraid to move forward, right? There's, of course, you can go too far and people like burn up their life savings all the time. Um, but you'll, you won't make any progress if you don't take some risks. I love that. I love that. I think that's so useful. And I think it's, it's emblematic of a lot of the high, you know, highly successful people I've had on the show, I think is that idea of doubling down on your strengths and for your weaknesses, outsourcing those. I think especially people early on in their career try so often to fill every single hole they can. And overall, you know, the product that you're putting out there is just, yeah. is just not going to be satisfactory. Yeah. So on that point, think of yourself in context of a team. You're not an individual contributor. And again, you don't have to be great at Excel and PowerPoint and financial analysis and, and pitching and, and making great PowerPoints. Like think of yourself in the context of a team and think of what team needs to be successful, what your role is in that team and, and who else can join that team. That's like, that's an important point. I don't think is made often enough. Yeah, I completely agree. I completely agree. Pat, this has been amazing. I want to thank you so much for taking the time to hop on. I think I would love to have you on again in the future when that Series B raise inevitably comes. Uh, and we are going to link that article that you mentioned for the how-to for financing in the show notes. And we're just so appreciative of you taking the time. Really, really thankful. Yeah, please uh, find me on Twitter at Patrick Larson, uh, L-A-R-S-E-N. Uh, jump uh, over to zenledger.io for help with your accounting and taxes. Uh, hit me up on LinkedIn. Happy to connect. Yep, I'm personally going to be hopping over there come April time because I have no idea what I'm going to do and it's already starting to give me anxiety. So Pat, thanks so much. Looking forward to talking again soon. Thanks, man.